0: All right, Luke chapter 22, starting in 47. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them "'struck the slave of the high priest "'and cut off his right ear. "'But Jesus answered and said, "'Stop! No more of this!' "'And he touched his ear and healed him. "'Then Jesus said to the chief priests "'and officers of the temple "'and elders who had come against him, "'Have you come out with swords and clubs "'as you would against a robber? "'While I was with you daily in the temple, "'you did not lay hands on me. "'But this hour and the power of darkness,' or yours. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also is with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Lord, we ask your blessing on the word of God today, that it would do its work in our lives. We pray, Lord, that it would do that work that would engender sanctification And a work of holiness in us, Lord, that we would properly reflect your holiness to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text today, I think we see Peter at about his lowest, but the lowest he ever got. In fact, it's hard to believe that Peter actually got to this very place in his life. I want to put two statements side by side that came out of Peter's lips. Okay, the first one is Matthew 16:16. 16, 16, where Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the living God." And then put that next to this one, Luke 22:57. Woman, I do not know him. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Woman, I don't know him. You think, how did those two statements come out of the lips of the same person? It seems almost impossible that this could happen, but it did. And so my question to you this morning is, how did Peter get to the point where he denied even knowing Jesus three times in the space of just a few hours? And not to some burly, strong soldier, but to a girl, a servant girl. He was intimidated. He was a fearful. He was coward. He was ashamed of his master. How did that happen? Well, I think the answer lies in the deceitfulness of sin. You see, nobody is walking with the Lord strongly one day and then the next day they have a complete blowout. Sin creeps up on you by degrees. In fact, sin is almost perceptible in its advances in our life. We give in just a little bit and then we give in just a little bit more and over time... Slowly, we find ourselves drifting away from God. Nobody is walking closely to the Lord on Monday, and then Tuesday has an affair with somebody, or leaves his wife and children and goes to live with some new woman. But over time, that can happen as he slowly but surely begins to become more distant in the secret place of his heart. Outwardly, when people look at his life, he might look fine, but in his heart... He's drifting. And over time, he gets further and further away, even though nobody else may know on the outside. See, it's like driving down the road on the freeway. You go in 70 miles an hour, and you have this blowout. Pop! You know, your tire blows, and you pull over to the side of the road. Sin usually isn't like that. Sin is like a very slow leak that over two or three weeks, you find your tire going slowly down, slow, 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 slow. And you wake up one morning and look at it. and think, boy, I need more air in that tire. Sin kind of works like that. It's like leprosy. It 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 spreads slowly but surely to other parts of the soul, other parts of the body. And I think we see something like that happening in the life of Peter. Because when we get to Luke chapter 22, Peter has been going through this downhill slide for at least about six months. And I want to show you the history of what's been going on in his heart and in his soul over that period of time. So we're going to trace Peter's downhill slide into sin. And the reason I want to do that is to forewarn us that this doesn't happen to us. That we don't end up one day denying that we even know Jesus. Or something else that could happen in our life. That we stay walking with Jesus closely. So this is really a sermon that I pray and hope will help us in our sanctification. And our walk with Jesus Christ. I believe there's five links in this chain of Peter's backsliding, his downhill slide. There's spiritual pride, self-confidence, satanic attack, spiritual laziness, and finally dead works. So we're going to look at those five links in the chain. First of all, spiritual pride. I need you to go back with me to Matthew chapter 16 again. And we're going to read a fairly lengthy section here, verses 13 to 23. Matthew 16, 13 to 23. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am, Simon Peter, speaking on behalf of the rest, like usual. He was the spokesman. He said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus said to him, "Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it." I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now, here we have a situation where Jesus is asking his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they gave him the common opinions of the day. You know, Some people say, You're John the Baptist. Others think that you're Elijah. Elijah went straight to heaven, never died. Maybe you're Elijah. Others say, well, you're Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus was really more concerned about what they thought. So he says, but what do you think? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, lovable Peter, he's always the one who's sort of out in front, sticking his foot in his mouth. But at this point, he didn't stick his foot in his mouth. He said something from the Spirit of God. He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon, because this revelation didn't come from flesh and blood. It didn't come from your own thoughts. It didn't come from another human being. This revelation came directly from God to your soul. And then he started to tell him some amazing promises. He says, your name's Peter Rock Rock. Well, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades, the netherworld, the place of the dead. That's not going to prevail against the church. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And you're going to be able to bind and loose with these keys. So can you imagine being Peter that day? And you're thinking, wow, Jesus told me that God himself just spoke to me. I got a revelation from God. I've got an inside line to heaven. Think of that. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to me. The Father in heaven has revealed it to me. That's, that's pretty amazing. I, I, God is using me. I'm speaking for God. And not only that, but Jesus went on to tell me that He's going to build His church upon the rock. My name means rock. He's going to build His church upon me. And not only that, but he said that he was going to give me the keys of the kingdom and I'm going to have the authority to use those keys and to bind and to loose. So can you can you imagine? This is pretty heady stuff that Peter's starting to kind of be lifted up a little bit. Wow, look at this. God's using me. I'm speaking for God. He's giving me the keys of the kingdom. He's going to build the church on me. He's And the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against the church. I've got authority. I've got power. So he's starting to strut around a little bit like a Benny Rooster. And I think that's why verses twenty one to twenty three took place. He takes Jesus apart by himself after Jesus said he was going to suffer and die, and he starts to rebuke Jesus. Now just think about that concept. Rebuking God in the flesh? Your creator comes down, he becomes flesh, and you rebuke him. It just that's <laughs> that that's an awful thought to think of it. But Peter here is rebuking Jesus. And he it says he takes him aside. Lord, I don't want to embarrass you in front of the other 11. But you've got this all wrong. <laughs> you're talking about suffering and dying. Lord, That's did, have, do you have temporary amnesia? You just told us that you're going to build this church. The gates of Hades are not going to prevail against it. Lord, we're going to build a monster church. You're going to build it on me, the rock. I'm the rock, Lord, Remember? What are you talking about, suffering and dying? That doesn't make any sense. So he's being lifted up now with spiritual pride. He actually thought that he knew more than Jesus, right? Jesus said he's going to suffer and die. Peter rebukes him and says, God forbid it. That'll never happen to you. And how does Jesus respond? Get behind me, Satan. Isn't it interesting how quickly Peter went from being a spokesperson for God to being a spokesperson for Satan. What happened in between? He's being lifted up with spiritual pride. He's really thinking highly of himself. And all of a sudden, instead of being able to speak forth for God, Satan's using him as a tool. You know, this can easily happen to any one of us. Same thing. God uses you. Let's say you're out there on the street preaching and God uses you. Someone comes to Christ or you're at a prayer stop and someone comes up for prayer and you lead them to Christ or you're leading a Bible study and you can see the Lord working through you or you're preaching at the mission and God uses you to preach there. I mean, this can happen in all number of ways, but we can find ourselves like Peter thinking, wow, I must be pretty hot stuff. Look, look, look what God is doing through my life. I, I'm a tool of God. He's speaking through me. He's using me. And if we're not really careful, we can be lifted up with spiritual pride like Peter. And instead of the Lord continuing to use you, you might find the devil actually using you as a tool. That it's, it's scary stuff to think about it. If we want God to use us, we must be humble and we must be teachable because the moment we are lifted up, we start to think, hey, I've got the corner on the truth. I I know all the answers. Just come to me for your Bible questions. I've got the answers, (laughs) you know. And instead of being humble and teachable and in a place where God can use us, we actually find ourselves in a place where God can't use us anymore. So we need to be in, in prayer. And we need to be watchful against the first signs of pride rising in our heart. That, that we would repent and that we would confess that to the Lord as pride. And Lord, please forgive me. Please, Lord, help me to know that any good that comes out of my life is from you. It's not of me, Lord. Spiritual pride was the first link. Second link is self-confidence. Turn over to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Verse 31, Jesus has just instituted the last supper. Verse 31 says, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples were saying the same thing, too. So Peter here receives a message from Jesus. Actually, all the disciples did that they were all going to fall away that very night. And even quotes the scripture, Zechariah 13.7, to prove his point. Zechariah 13.7 says, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. So Jesus said, you're all going to fall away tonight. So does Peter humbly receive the word of the Lord? Huh. He argues with Jesus over it. He says, Lord, even though all these other guys may fall away, I'll never do it. And then Jesus says, Peter, wait a minute. Let's come back here truly i say to you listen to me now truly i say to you before the cock crows you're going to deny me three times and instead of humbling himself before the lord he's he he continues to argue even i if i have to die with you i'll never deny you now what's going on peter's so sure of himself here he's cocksure of himself Instead of depending upon God, he's depending upon himself. His confidence is not in God. His confidence is in his flesh. Right? He, Even though all those guys may do it, I would never do that, Lord. You can count on me. I'm your man. I'll I'll die for you, Lord. I'll never deny you. So self-confidence is going on. He doesn't realize the deceitfulness of his own heart. And he doesn't realize without Christ, he can do nothing. Confidence in the flesh. Remember, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I really don't believe as Christians, we should be lifting up this concept of self-confidence. I think as Christians, we should have God confidence. Our confidence should be in Him, not in our flesh, not in ourselves, but in the Lord who lives in us and empowers us, that He might receive the glory. Now, we need to watch out when we would say what Peter said. Peter said, I would never do that, Lord. We need to watch out when we say things like, Lord, I would never do that. I would, Lord, I, or we might not say it to the Lord, we might say it to other people. I would never use the TV as a babysitter for my kids. I would never um, let my, if I had a nice big home, I would never let it get dirty. Or get run down. Never do that, Lord. I would never cheat on my income taxes. I would never smoke or drink or take drugs of any kind. You know, we, we make these statements sometimes. But what we're doing is touting ourselves as something special. That there's something in me that's better than something than in other people around me. Self-confidence. So we need to watch out for that. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So Peter thought that he stood, but he didn't take heed lest he fall. He wasn't on his guard. He wasn't watching out. He was puffed up with importance. Spiritual pride leads to self-confidence. And then the third link here is a satanic attack that we see going on. We find that from Luke 22 and verse 31 where Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, when people would sift wheat, they would take it and they would violently shake it to knock the outer hole off of the inward grain. And so Jesus is saying, Satan has demanded permission to violently smash you around, <laughs> to try to sift you from true faith. He wants you to destroy your faith, Peter. And he wants to come at you. And the interesting thing is that Jesus gave permission to Satan to do this. As Christians, we are not inoculated from satanic attack. He will, he will come against believers. Of course he will. He's prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's going to come after you f- from one time or another. So he came after Peter in this particular situation. And um, I, I think this was probably a time when Peter least suspected a satanic attack. Because he's already been lifted up with spiritual pride. He's also confident in himself. He's on cloud nine. Hey, I'm the rock. Jesus uses me. He speaks through me. He gave me the keys of the kingdom. He's going to build the church on me. Wow. So, you know, he's feeling so strong and so self-important that when Satan comes, he doesn't suspect it in the least. He's not looking for it. He's not on his guard against it. So he's knocked off his feet. Do You know, Satan can't knock you off your feet if you're on your knees. And I think that's where we need to be not standing strong in ourselves, but on our knees in dependence upon God because there's nowhere he can knock us to then. God is our strength at that point. And so we need to be on our guard. Satan will often come against you when you least suspect it, when you're not thinking about it. You're, you're just not even aware of his reality. You're just going about your day. We, we need to be on our guard. We don't need to be paranoid of Satan. But we do need to be on our guard that he may attack us and when he does we need to hold up the shield of faith and we need to attack with the sword of the spirit. And he'll often attack you when you think think that you're something special. You're know, you indispensable. God's kingdom can't get along without you. Well, that's silly, isn't it? It's nonsense. Spiritual pride leads to self-confidence and then Satan comes in to attack. Fourthly, spiritual laziness go over to Matthew 26. We're going to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane again today. So Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me yet, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. You kind of hear a note, a twinge of disappointment in his voice. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time, and he prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Now, at the very beginning, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he gave his disciples a command. Verse 38. Remain here and keep watch with me. If you put the other Gospels together, he told them to watch and pray. Watch and pray against temptation. Keep watching. Well, he went off by himself a stone's throw further, and he prayed. But when he came back, they were all sleeping. So he roused them to duty. He said, keep watching and praying. Don't go to sleep. Pray. Pray against temptation. Then he went over here again and he prayed by himself. He came back and they're sleeping again. He did that three times. Now, why would Jesus call them to pray? He told them it was because temptation was at hand. I I think there's probably a couple reasons going on. Remember, Jesus was a real human being. Don't ever get the idea that he's pure God and God alone, and that's all he is. He's also God wedded to a human nature, two natures in one. He's a real person like you and me. He's a real human being. And as a real human being, he experienced the same kinds of weaknesses that we face. And and I think probably Jesus wanted them to be praying for him. Just last Sunday, we talked about Gethsemane and the horrors of drinking the cup. And folks, none of us are ever going to fathom what that was like. We tried to. But facing the wrath of Almighty God for sin, be cut off from communion with the Father, something that is far, far greater than just the physical pain and suffering and the emotional pain of having His disciples forsake Him, far greater than that. It was intense, deep, spiritual suffering of becoming sin and having sin laid upon him. And so he's asking his disciples to pray. One reason, I think, was for his own support. As a human being, he dreaded drinking what was in that cup. He didn't want to. He prayed three times that he wouldn't have to do it. But he always said, but not my will, yours be done. I think secondly... He told them to pray because they needed to pray for themselves. Not only for him, but for themselves, because they were going to face the greatest temptation of their life, the temptation to forsake him and flee when he's arrested and taken before these officials. And they failed in their time of temptation because they weren't praying. So I think what we have going on here is spiritual laziness. He called them to pray and they slept instead. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in our lives, isn't that true? Your spirit, your, your spirit that has been made new, recreated in Christ Jesus, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The spirit is willing, your spirit is willing to read the word and to meditate on the word and to memorize the word. Your spirit is willing to go into your closet alone and be with God and pour out your heart and worship and prayer. Your your spirit is willing to fast and seek God. The problem is our flesh is weak. We got this weak old flesh and this willing spirit and the two struggle against each other just like the disciples did. And our problem is that sometimes we neglect the spiritual disciplines because we give in to our flesh rather than cultivating that spiritual side of our life. We indulge the flesh rather than keeping the flesh under. We let our body dictate to our spirit, rather than our spirit dictating to our body. Let me share with you this passage. The Apostle Paul struggled with this. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 24. Paul says, Don't you guys know that those who run in a race all run? but only one of them receives the prize. Therefore, run in such a way that you may win. He says, every Christian, you are in a race for heaven. Now, when you're in a race, only one guy gets the prize. Only one guy gets first place. He says, I want you to run the Christian life like you're shooting for first place. Not that we're competing with other Christians. That's not his point. His point is give the Christian life everything you have. Use every ounce of energy to run this race for Christ. Strain every nerve to cross that finish line. He goes on. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So if they win first place, they get this perishable wreath hung around their neck. Big deal, right? It's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna rot and fall away in a few years. If you win, You get an imperishable reef. The stakes are much higher than you think, brothers and sisters. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I'm aiming for the finish line. I'm not shadow boxing. I've got a real opponent. I discipline my body, and this is the important phrase here, and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says, rather than indulge my flesh, what I'm seeking to do is to make my body the slave of my spirit so that my body does what the spirit wants to do, which is always righteousness, it's always seeking God, it's always those righteous things that are our life. He says, I'm... I'm cultivating this discipline. I discipline my body to do what it ought to do rather than what it wants to do. And we need to cultivate the same thing. We need to give ourselves to the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading, study, memorization, meditation, hearing the word preached, prayer, communion with God, praise of God, fasting. Just those are some of the spiritual disciplines. And if we, if we won't discipline our body to do that, we should not be surprised if we fail in the time of temptation just like the disciples did. So this is an exhortation this morning to all of us, me included, because lots of things are competing with our, our time to put God first, to start our day with God, to keep Him in our mind and heart during the day, to look for times when we can commune with God throughout the day, to pray against temptation in our life uh let, let's take heart from this rather than being a couch potato you know and and wasting away hours and hours of our day vegging before the tv or computer games or video games or it can be anything anything that you know the lord really doesn't want me to do that but i'm just going to do it anyway let's 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 seek to do what the lord wants and maybe that's going to mean finding our delight in Him. You know, maybe it's going to mean uh, going off for 15 minutes or 20 minutes in the closet and just spending some time with the Lord and communing with Him. Um, we need to rouse ourselves, just like Jesus roused the disciples in the garden to seek Him. We have spiritual pride, self-confidence, satanic attacks, spiritual laziness leads finally to dead works. And I want you to go over to John 18, verse 8. Here, the the soldiers come to arrest Jesus in the garden. Verse 7, Jesus says, Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way. Do you implied i believe in that statement is that jesus had resigned himself to be delivered up and drink the cup do you remember he was praying lord if it's possible don't let don't make me drink that cup if you're willing let it pass away i don't want that what's in that cup but yet nevertheless if it's your will i'll do it well, i believe by this point he knew it was the will of god he knew it wasn't possible any other way to save sinners he knew this was the sovereign will of god it could not be changed And so he's willing to drink the cup. Just let these go their way. Take me. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup. Here we go. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So you, we know by this time, Jesus knew he's going to drink the cup. He's willing to drink the cup. In his humanity, he shrank, shrank away in horror at the thought, but he's going to do it anyway because it's the will of God. And he's telling Peter, put away your sword. Peter at this point is still arguing with Jesus about the cross. And he's been arguing with Jesus about the cross for six months. It started back in Caesarea Philippi. Lord, This will never happen to you. God forbid it, Lord. You're not going to the cross. He's still fighting against the cross, even though Jesus is telling him, no, no, this is God's plan for me. Peter is fighting when he should be submitting because he was sleeping when he should have been praying. Let me just say that again. Peter is fighting when he should be submitting because he was sleeping when he should have been praying. And that can happen to us, can't it? When we should be praying and we don't, we might find ourselves out of the will of God, not in step with the Spirit, fighting against what the Lord wants to do in our life. If Peter was awake and praying, maybe he would have overheard Jesus agonizing in prayer about this cup. Maybe he would recognize that Jesus had accepted the cup, but he's still fighting against it. He's still fighting against the cross. He's unwilling to submit to the word of the Lord. Now, here's a question for you and me. Do we keep the Lord busy putting on ears that we cut off? We think we're doing the right thing. We think we're protecting Jesus. But we're actually doing the wrong thing. Because this was time for Jesus to go to the cross. This is not a time for fighting against soldiers. This is a time of submitting and resigning himself to the sovereign will of God. Peter was lopping off this ear when he should have been laying down the sword and going his way. So do we keep the Lord busy because we're we're making messes of things? And he's got to clean up our messes by putting ears back on. What I'm talking here about is dead works. Doing works in the flesh. Now Peter, lovable old Peter, <laughs> I'm sure thought he was doing something righteous. He was taking up the sword. Remember, he said, Lord, even if I have have to die, I'll never deny you. And he was proving it. Took out his sword and started fighting the first guy that came to arrest Jesus. And I don't think he was aiming at his ear, do you? I think he's probably aiming at his neck, trying to take the head off. (laughs) Although he was a fisherman, not a soldier, so he wasn't that good of an aim. So he hit the ear instead. But he's trying to do what he thought was right, but it was actually against the will of God. In this particular situation, he's out of God's will. And I believe he's out of God's will because he wasn't praying. He wasn't in touch with God. He wasn't listening to the Lord. He was just sleeping. And so when the time of temptation came, he did the wrong thing rather than the right thing. And you know, we can be very, very busy flailing our swords around, thinking that we're doing the Lord's will, being very religious, And we can be completely out of the will of God. Let me just give you an example. Debbie and I were part of a church in Fresno for eight years. And we were very busy and everybody else in that church was very busy because it was just the culture of the church. We went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. On top of that, most people in the church were out leading a Bible study or more than one. We had two on Tuesday nights that we were leading. And then on Friday night, it was either an evangelistic concert or a film. On top of that, we had a stack of these cards of people that came forward at these films and concerts that we're supposed to be f- calling every week and following up on. On top of that, we we're always renovating some building. And so most of the time we were down at the, at the church building hammering or whatever, putting carpet in till late hours of the night. So how much time do you think we had to really spend with the Lord with that kind of a schedule? We were religious, but we were barren, busy, but barren, diligent, but dead. <laughs> <laughs> doing lots of things, flailing swords around, thinking we were being righteous and doing the will of God, but I believe there were dead works a lot of the time because they weren't flowing from God's life in us. A living work comes from the spirit inside of you. A dead work comes from your flesh. Over in Hebrews 6.1, one of the elementary teachings of the word is repentance from dead works, he says. And so we need to be careful that we're not just going through religious activity, very busy, cutting off ears that Jesus has to put back on, you know, protecting Jesus when he doesn't want us to protect him, doing lots of religious things that don't come from the life of God and the Spirit of God. We need to make sure that our preaching, our witnessing, our prayer stopping, our, our missioning, <laughs> whatever we do for Christ our leading Bible studies our encouraging brothers and sisters that that flows from God's life in us because we have nothing to offer apart from Him apart from Christ we can do nothing we can cut off some ears but that's about it we can't impart anything of real spiritual and eternal value now it's tempting dead works are tempting Even though you may not be close to the Lord, it's tempting to keep on being religious. And it's tempting for the same reason that the Pharisees were tempted to do it. Jesus said, Beware of doing your righteous deeds like these Pharisees, for they think that they will be approved of men. They do it to be noticed by men. All of us inwardly crave attention and admiration and approval. We want people to think highly of us. And so even though we're not really walking with the Lord, we'd like other people to think we are because we want their attention and approval and all of that. And so we kind of keep up this facade. What we ought to do is repent, right? What we ought to do is go back to God and tell him, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please draw me back into a close relationship with you and help me to keep you close and in my heart and to commune with you throughout the day rather than just go on and keep up the motions Paul in Philippians 3.3 3 says we are the true circumcision so he's talking about the true Jew who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh no confidence don't and my flesh dwells no good thing. So I can't have any confidence there. But I can have all the confidence in the world in the living God who dwells in me and is for me and sent his son to die for me. Let's, let's draw some application as we conclude today. Number one. We need to learn from this passage that one sin leads to another. Spiritual pride led to self-confidence which opened him up to satanic attack, which brought about this spiritual laziness in his life, and which ultimately led to a life or a season of dead works in Peter's life. There's a downhill slide, very slowly, very gradually, almost imperceptibly, but there's this downhill slide going on. And it finally leads to Peter denying the Lord, denying that he even knew him. He probably never would have believed in a million years that that would happen to him, but it did. I want you to see something from John 18 for just a minute. John 18, verse 5. They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to him, to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Just a little phrase. Judas was standing with them. With who? The enemies of Christ, the ones who had come to arrest Christ. Judas was standing with the enemies of Christ. Now, look at verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Where? Where was he standing and warming himself? If you look at the context, he's standing and warming himself at the fire of the officials who had come out to arrest Jesus. Outwardly, Peter is in the same position that Judas was in. Judas was in the presence of the enemies of Christ, standing with the enemies of Christ. He came to betray Jesus. Later on, the same night, Peter is in the very same position outwardly. Now, doesn't mean that Peter spiritually was in the same position as Judas. Judas was a devil. Peter was one of God's. But outwardly speaking, he looked like a Judas because he was standing with the enemies of Christ, warming himself by the fire at that cold night. And we need to be careful that we don't ever assume the outward position of one of Christ's enemies. We don't start to look like the world in our outward behavior. And this took at least six months for him to get there. But he had finally hit rock bottom. Number two. Guard yourself against the first signs of sin. If sin is deceitful, if sin will lie to you, which it will, you need to be careful when the first risings of sin are noticed in your life to deal swiftly against it. Because if you entertain it and let it go on, it's only going to get worse. Have you ever noticed that? That... The very first time this temptation appe- uh, comes to you that it's it's easier to resist it. But if you give in, it's harder. And if you give in again, it's harder to resist it still. And if you keep on giving in to temptation, it starts to have power over you. And you start to have trouble resisting it. So we need to guard ourselves against the first signs of sin. Maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's something like lust in your heart. That can lead to something even worse. That can lead to an an illicit sexual relationship with somebody. Maybe it's something like taking that that first drink that you really know. Now, I'm not saying drinking is a sin because the Bible doesn't condemn all drinking. But um, if you feel like the Lord... Doesn't want you to drink and you do it anyway, and then you give in and you start drinking more than you should, and pretty soon you start to have a problem with drinking. Same thing can happen with drugs, as people here well know, who have had to fight that and are still fighting it to be free. We we need to be careful about the first risings of sin in our heart. If we take the bait, we may find ourselves hooked. Sin leads to more sin. And so when sin rears its head in your life and you see it, instead of just kind of sloughing it off as no big deal, oh, well, everybody struggles with that. I think we should deal with that. I think we should take it to the Lord. I think we should pray about those things. Go to the Lord with that issue in your life and ask the Lord to, to, to take that away, to give you victory over that sin. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to offend What? Chop it off. It's better to go to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with two. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better to go to heaven with one eye than go to hell with two eyes. Jesus basically is saying, if you give your life over to sin, you're headed for hell. Don't be deceived. The New Testament epistles are very clear. Don't be deceived. If you are practicing sin, you're not on your way to heaven. You might want to think that you are, but the evidence that you've been born again is that you will not tolerate yourself to go on living in this lifestyle of sin day after day. Repentance is one of the marks, one of the evidences of a true child of God. So let's let's be repenters. Not just initially, one time, when we come to Christ, let's be repenters day by day. When the Lord shows you sin, let's turn from that sin. And let's pray and ask God to help us to to have victory over those sins. Thirdly, if you find yourself far from God this morning, repent and return. Peter was far from the Lord on that night. But when Jesus turned to look at him, he went out and wept bitterly. And those I believe those are the true tears of contrition and repentance. Jesus restored him. Jesus brought him back. Remember when he would risen from the dead? Oh, was it the angel who said, go and tell Peter, no, go tell the disciples and Peter he's risen from the dead. Now why did you stick that little phrase in? And Peter. I think it was because Peter was so crestfallen and so despairing of what he had done that he needed a word of assurance from the angel's lips himself that God was on his side. God forgave him. God restored him. And then when he's on, on the Sea of Galilee, do you remember um, the Lord said, Peter, do you love me? Well, of course I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. And he doesn't do that once. He doesn't do it twice. He does it three times. Why? Because Peter denied him three times. And it's his way of bringing him back in and assuring him, if you love me, here's a job for you to do. Feed my sheep. You're you're not kicked out of the fold, Peter. You're in my fold. In fact, I'm going to give you an important job. Feed the flock. And it was Peter who then was God's spokesman on the day of Pentecost to preach to that Jewish crowd and see 3,000 people come to Christ. So if you find yourself far from God, instead of just going through the the motions of religion, repent this morning. Repent of doing dead works. Repent of following at a distance and warming yourself at the enemy's fire. Repent of all of that and come back to the Lord with a full heart today. Give yourself back to Christ today. Uh, Give yourself to following him. Make, Make this the beginning of a new week, a new week of communion with Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your work would do its, its work, your word would do its work in our hearts and in our lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, that our first and greatest priority in life would be to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Please, Lord, we don't want idols in our hearts. We don't want to give ourselves to idolatry. We want you to reign within these hearts of ours. So do that work on us, Lord. Sanctify us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.